well said. It is a joy, and uh, there's, there's a hint of sadness here this morning, too. Um, but a privilege uh, to be following up uh, Chipper's sermon last week on Psalm 23. Uh, Chipper got to expound that God has promised to be a good shepherd, and that knowing he is the good shepherd can comfort us in the midst of the highs and the lows, the yays and the yucks of life. But this week, we get to take a glimpse of the embodiment of Psalm 23 in Jesus, who was the good shepherd, is the good shepherd. And one of my all-time favorite passages with some of my all-time favorite people. So uh, we are going to look in Matthew 9 in just a moment. Last week was kind of like studying some basketball theory. And this week is like going to watch LeBron James in action. So we will get to take a second and uh, look at the good shepherd in a moment. So Matthew, um, also known as Levi, he got a front row seat to watch the king play his game of shepherding in Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus, and a few paragraphs before our passage, Jesus meets Matthew as a tax collector. This meant that Matthew worked to extract money from his own people to give it to the Roman Empire. And this occupation, uh, you might not be surprised, made him sort of an outcast to the Jews who would have seen him as a traitor. So while he, he was financially poor, he, he, he wasn't financially poor. He was socially poor. He was poor in spirit, which made him an ideal candidate to be a disciple of Jesus. So in Matthew's gospel that he gives us of Jesus, he really presents Jesus as king, not just of the Jews, but of the poor in spirit. And being a, a Jew, he does an am- amazing job of showing that Jesus doesn't cast aside all of his Jewish heritage But instead, he's clarifying what God has always been doing, drawing out a people for himself from all people. And at the end of the gospel, he gives the audience two options, either bow down to Jesus or reject him. There's not a middle ground when it comes to Jesus, and I do hope we bow. So the interaction we are going to watch today, Matthew is subtly revealing one uh, key aspect of Jesus' ruling. He is not a tyrant of pawns. He's a shepherd. Of sheep. So let's look together. We're going to be in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. If you would pull out your Bibles with me, it's going to be up on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, there should be a blue Bible somewhere in front of you. You can take that and you can even keep that for yourself. Um, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And let's look at our shepherd king. Jesus continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. This is God's word. You guys can be seated. We ask you guys to stand um, in those moments because we want to honor God as powerful, and his word is powerful. It's so powerful that I want to take something, uh, a special moment, and just sit and reread that passage for yourself. So just on your own, I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. Would you reread the passage? Uh, Can you put it up on the screen as well, just in case? And would you choose one word, just one, circle one word that really stands out to you? So just take 30 seconds, 
read the passage and pick one word. Thank you guys for humoring me. Um, let me just ask one more request. Would, if you were willing, would you turn to somebody next to you and just share what word you chose and why that is? Um, if not, you can awkwardly try to avoid eye contact with people um, and with me. But if, if you w- would be willing, just share the word and why you chose it. Just take 30 seconds. All right, I'm going to gather you back. I know that wasn't long. Some of you are like, yeah, it was a long time, actually. Um, but I just get so excited about hearing brothers and sisters chat and get excited about his word that I just couldn't help myself. So I just wanted to um, take some of that time. Hopefully that uniquely nourishes you. I think we need to take time to hear preaching and teaching every week. But I think it's so good. God wants to do something unique and special for you in your own personal reading. And you don't have to wait for Sunday. So maybe uh, share your word with somebody after the message today. I think God wants to encourage us through that. As you guys hopefully could see, there's a lot going on in this passage. It's busy, and we could chat about a lot. But as we gaze at our shepherd king, I hope what pops off the page is Jesus' stunning eyes. So we're going to take some time and look at the shepherd's captivating vision. What was he looking at? And as we observe what he observes, his vision, I hope we... Observe what he does about it. We will observe not only his vision, but the shepherd's provision. And I hope we're nourished and encouraged by the shepherd's vision and provision. Encourages us today. But I also hope he chastises us with his staff. Sheep need not only to be fed, they need to be prodded. It's in our character. And I pray he drives us uh, to action as we look at his vision and provision. Let me pray for us. Pray that would be true. Lord, uh, we do long to be, we need to be fed. We are hungry, even if we don't know we're hungry. We need spiritual nourishment today. Would you feed us? Would you also chastise us, encourage us um, to to go in the direction you're calling us to, to, to the green pastures you want us to be in? I love you, Jesus. I need you. Would you use this word mightily? Amen. Thanks, guys. Okay, so first we are gonna take a look at the shepherd's vision. What? Was he looking at? Right before this passage, we get a zoomed in picture of Jesus' teaching, preaching, and healing. So Matthew is telling us now that that zoomed in picture is just a small snapshot of all of Jesus' ministry. He was doing a lot all over Galilee in every small town and village. And as Jesus encounters yet another really needy crowd of people, Jesus doesn't just give a knee jerk reaction and get back out there to healing and teaching and preaching, which is what I would expect him to do. Before Jesus does anything, he sees them. He just sees them. Before he acts, 
He sees. And he isn't overwhelmed by a, a sea of problems. That's not, what he, that's not what he sees. He isn't disgusted by this group's depravity. He has compassion. He is moved into his bowels like with pain. He, he sees this group of sheep, and he sees that they're stirred up, and they're beat down, and he aches for them. He sees what, what their true need is, too. It, it's not material healings. It's not just a ton of moral teaching. Those things are good, and he's going to do them, but they really were temporary. They won't bring ultimate rest. What they need to do is abandon their own path. They're, they're bad shepherds and follow him to real pasture. I think Matthew is, a, is using all of this sheep language because he is just mega Jewish guy. He, he just can't help it. There are so many sheep references in the Old Testament, and I think Matthew has them in mind. One of the, the first major ones that, that I noticed in the Old Testament is Numbers 27. And in this passage, Moses is about to die, and he just begs God, please send someone so that this people doesn't become like sheep without a shepherd. And God responds to Moses. He sends Joshua, son of Nun, to shepherd his people. Joshua, son of Nun, or uh, his name would have been sounded more like uh, Yeshua, son of Nun. We quickly see that his shepherding actually isn't good enough. It isn't long-lasting. And other shepherds come, and, and they're, they're uh, actually bad shepherds. In fact, throughout the scriptures, we hear that God's people, his sheep, consistently wander from their shepherd and their true pasture. One such instance is Jeremiah 50, verse 6. This is just a snippet. It says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. Jeremiah, like so many of the prophets, if you take a look, points out the reason not only are these sheep harassed, distressed, and dejected, but the reason is, isn't because they didn't have a shepherd. They had shepherds. But these shepherds were bad shepherds that guided them away from God and away from their true pasture, which is God himself. But also, like most of the prophets, he shows that the sheep intentionally wandered. They were wandering. They intentionally tried to shepherd themselves away from God or follow shepherds that brought them away from God. They left God's guidance and his provision, and they sought to find life in themselves, in, in effort, in politics, in wealth, in sexual fulfillment. In, and these false shepherds and these false pastures they let the sheep down. But even though they were disappointed, they still did not, they refused to turn back to the Lord. The sheep that, this, that, the, that Jesus encounters, they're not innocent. It is their own fault they're distressed and dejected, as Chipper alluded to last week. And yet, Jesus, the Son of God, comes to get his sheep. Jesus, whose name also would have sounded more like Yeshua. He is the better Joshua, the better shepherd. He sees his sheep. And before he just leads them or drags them, he aches for them. I hope we're refreshed by that anew. I hope we're nourished by that, that the Lord sees you. Maybe nobody else sees your distress, your doubt, how, how weary you really are. Maybe nobody gets it, even if it's your own fault. But Jesus sees you. And just because he, 
hasn't done anything yet doesn't mean he doesn't see you, and it doesn't mean he doesn't ache. And it doesn't mean he's not coming. He sees his sheep. And that's, that's not all he sees of this crowd. He sees a harvest, which I think is a really interesting connection that Jesus makes. Why? How can this be? As he looks at mob upon mob after city of, after city of downtrodden people, he doesn't see a withered, a diseased crop. Instead, he sees a bountiful, abundant harvest. How can that be? They had let themselves down. Their, their leaders had let them down. They were in need, and these people knew it. But in our shepherd's eyes, he doesn't see damaged goods. He sees contrite hearts. No one is more ripe to turn away from themselves and follow the good shepherd than people who are poor in spirit, who are distressed and dejected. That was Jesus' good mes- message, by the way. If you look at Matthew 4, 17, he says, repent for the kingdom is near, or turn away, turn from yourself. Follow me instead. So if you are feeling downtrodden today, now I have some good news. There is no better candidate for the shepherd's healing care, for his comfort, than those who are downtrodden and they know it. Ask for help. Don't wait. Ask for it. Enjoy his comfort. Turn from trying to tirelessly find your own green pastures. If you're tired of shepherding yourself and you want to submit to Jesus' way and you, you aren't doing that, would you please come talk to me? Or a friend after the service, he wants to be there. My shepherd king is alive, and Jesus sees those who are downtrodden, including me. I still get downtrodden, and he wants to give me hope. And I hope we're nourished by that today. But especially those in Christ, I I hope it prods us, too. I hope it challenges us. Because Jesus used the image of the harvest, yes, to depict that the lowly are ripe to receive the good news of transforming salvation. But what happens to an unpicked harvest? It rots. It rots. There is a window of time for harvesting. And in Revelation 14, another harvest is depicted. And it's a harvest of all of those who refuse the good shepherd. They choose to continue to find their own pasture and bear no fruit. In fact, They bear evil fruit. They have harvested. They are harvested, but they experience the life they they searched for their whole life. They spent their whole life trying to be away from the shepherd. Separation from the shepherd is what they receive. So I think Jesus sees a ripe harvest, but he's also grieving because he knows some will rot. Even though their wrath is deserved, their separation is what they ask for, The shepherd doesn't scoff. He aches. He has compassion still. Our shepherd saw sheep and he saw a harvest and he had compassion. When I see the world, when you see the world, what do we see? Those that follow Jesus, as you stare at the crowds, what do you see? As you watched people tear apart strangers and family alike, In response to abortion policy, what did you see? As we experience friends and family and acquaintances abuse God's good design for sexuality 
and they suffer as they scrounge to find meaning from it. What do you seek? Do you have compassion? Or are you disgusted? Do you see their real need? Or are you just trying to modify behavior? Clean up the outside. It's bothering me. Do you callously watch the world rot from lack of a shepherd? Or do you grieve? If my primary response to the world around me is, ew, or do better, as I've heard is kind of a message a lot right now, if that's my main response, I'm not sure I'm really understanding the plight that I was in. I needed to be cleansed and transformed by my Savior. I needed it. I didn't do better. And Jesus, he doesn't look at them and say, do better. Instead, in my lack, he shepherded. He, he has compassion and he shepherds to better pastures. One of Jesus' main critiques is of those who led but they led without seeing or caring. And so I hope our good shepherd prods us. He prods us into compassion today. Jesus, what he saw, his vision was, was shepherdless sheep, and he saw a bountiful harvest, and he was moved in his soul. But he didn't just see and feel. His vision bears fruit into action. And so let's, let's turn to this second point and, and observe what is the provision of the good shepherd? What does he do about it? So uh, in my thought, he's the good shepherd, right? He, his provision should get, get back out there. Start preaching and teaching and healing. Go do it, right? Snatch up that harvest. But curiously, that's not what he does. The first action he takes is he turns from the crowds to his disciples. I think he's, this is his dazzling plan. Of provision. Jesus thought the best way to get to these needy sheep was to do for his few what he longed to do for many. Jesus cared and he individually served thousands of people, yes, but he was primarily, he primarily con and consistently cared for 12 over three years. He taught them. He prayed with them. He, he went on road trips with them. And he ate meals with them. He loved these men. And then he sent them out to go do the same. Sent them to those other sheep. Jesus confirms this plan, that th this is what he's talking about, with the statement, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This group of harassed sheep, this, this bountiful harvest, it, it is not the problem. The problem is not the harvest. The ho problem is the workers. And so what does Jesus do? How does he provide? He's going to disciple his sheep into workers. Because that's what God does. He doesn't just bless you. He turns you into a blessing. So Jesus, he sought to make disciples into workers, not just converts. He was always training the sheep he was with to be workers. You know, I was, I was studying and, you know, it was interesting. Do, do you guys know what the Greek word for worker, what it means? It means someone who works. Like, it's not overly complicated. There's not a secret message. It's, it's not someone highly skilled. It's just someone who is willing to go out into the harvest field and do what the master says to do. Which includes me and you, not just those 12 disciples. Any disciple of Jesus, God wants and can use your life. You're in the game. You are his provision. And I hope he... 
I hope the shepherd nourishes you with that afresh today. And I also hope he prods us. He, he like kicks us into gear a little bit. As, as Jesus gives us his compassion for the world, the best thing you can do to meet the needs of the world is to shepherd a few, is to train them not just to be sheep, but also to be shepherds, workers. Jesus, his method for reaching the masses was the few, and it always has been, and you can do that. Help them spend time enjoying God and his word. Help them share about how Jesus saved them. Help them pray for all the anxieties they have. Help them see that Christians aren't perfect. I definitely think we can do that one, right? We can definitely show that Christians aren't perfect. And then we can show them how to repent right after that. That's a great thing to show people. Eat together. We can definitely eat together. That's something simple. We can do what Jesus did. And then we can train them to go do those same things with others. Encourage them. Send them out. I want to specifically ask, some of you guys are already doing this, but would you guys consider meeting with a few people regularly? Just a few. There are so many cool people here, but would you just meet with a few? There are, I have met so many mature, baller believers, in my opinion, in this room. You don't have to be Mother Teresa to go meet with somebody. You just have to be a couple of steps ahead in one area. But maybe you're in this room and you're sitting there like, hey, I, I actually don't know how to pray or listen to God and his word or, or share about the love of Jesus. I don't know how to do those things. Don't just wait for a class. And don't wait for somebody to ask you. Go find somebody who looks a little bit more like Jesus and ask to follow them. Can I, can I just live some life with you and see what you do? And I don't care if you're 80 years old or 12. If you see someone more mature, go ask. Humbly ask to follow them. Learn from them. And their name does not have to be pastor. I am convinced that Western Christians have been outsourcing their responsibility to disciple to the full-time workers. Yes, we need full-time workers. That's true. We need full-time Christian workers. But I believe some of our best workers are sitting on the bench, either because they think they're unqualified or because they've been trying to minister to the masses instead of just a few. A few ordinary people. That was Jesus' way. And if we claim to follow him, we need to follow his provision. This was his provision for us. So if we, if we don't have his, what if we don't have his compassionate eyes? Or what if we don't like his simple methods even? I, I think we can take heart. I have a solution, and it's also very simple. Ask. Ask him. This is the second thing that, that Jesus does. This brings us to our second part of this. Jesus, moved by compassion, yes, he first turns to his disciples, but then he tells them to pray or ask. Jesus, who is God, was saying, hey, I need to ask God, which meant that his disciples definitely needed to ask God. Jesus was revealing that his, his hope, ultimately, it's not in his great training methods. It's not in training up workers. His hope is in the Lord of the harvest. Amen? Some of us just need to hear there is a Lord of the harvest. It's not up to us. There is someone meticulously watching over his field, and he will not let fruit rot because of the worker lack. That that is not what he's going to do. He is not asking us to manage his field. He's merely asking us to sweat and ask him for stuff. That's it. 
So what is keeping us from asking? Why don't we ask? I think we forget we're just the hired hand. I think this is the number one reason we don't ask, and it's the number one reason our labor is ineffective. The word ask or pray here, it, it's a little bit more urgent than that. It's more like beg. So the provision of the good shepherd is field hands who are willing to beg. But you'll only beg if you're desperate. Prayer is not these people, these pious people who make God do something by doing this ritual over and over again. It's not talking to God because you feel like you ought to. Well, I should pray. Prayer is desperate people talking to the almighty God. Prayer is far more about desperation than it is about discipline. It's, it's more about being desperate than disciplined. Which means if I'm not praying, it's probably because I don't feel very desperate. I don't feel that needy. I have boiled down the world's needs to what I can do, what I can maybe conceivably do on my own strength. So Jesus highlights the need for neediness also in what he says to ask for. He says, ask to send. So this word send is also a little bit more potent. It's the same word Jesus used when he sends out demons from people. He casts them out. He drives them out of people. These workers that he's saying to send out, they're not like strong and fearless and ready to go. They need to be driven out by the Lord of the, the harvest. He needs to drive them into action. And it's not unbiblical to say that I need to be prodded. I don't have to prod myself. We need to be prodded into work. And praise God, I need that too. I need to be driven out into his harvest field. I believe our good shepherd wants to awaken his sheep, awaken his workers to their needs. Paul David Tripp said, Weakness is the window to strength. Confessing your inability produces a hunger for the power that is only found in Jesus. Weakness is a window into your real strength. So Matthew has already shown that in order to be shepherded by Jesus, we must be needy. But here he's revealing it also means that to be a worker, we must be needy. The Lord of the harvest, he doesn't need us. We need him. Jesus is not emphasizing this provision of workers to say like, oh no, the Lord of the harvest is lacking some sweat equity. Like what's going to happen? No, the provision of labor isn't just for the harvest. It's for us. Because not only do we get a, a chance to recount the story of our good shepherd, eventually we realize we can't grow a harvest. I can't make it happen. I can't save a sheep. And so laboring isn't just about helping other needs. It's about our own need. And as we re-experience our neediness, we can then look outside of ourselves and look into the window of our Savior and see our true strength. And that's when we start asking. That's when we start crying out. I hope the Lord nourishes you with that, that you can be needy. In college, I had the realization that even though I had followed Jesus for some time, I actually really didn't have very much love for him. And nor did I want to spend time with him or read his words or trust what he said. I didn't think his plan for my sexuality was worthy. I, didn't, I definitely didn't think he was worthy for my labor. My Savior had given everything to know me. And I was, I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't feel like it today. 
I wasn't proud of that. I was ashamed of it. And yet I, I couldn't change it. I couldn't change my reality. So I would pretend. I would try to just like bend and gram, gra- bear it, grit my teeth, and just try harder. Eventually, my good shepherd pointed out, Matt, didn't I pay for this lack in you too? Why are you trusting in your shame more than you trust in me? Shame had become my shepherd. And from my experience, shame is a really bad shepherd. It can, it can drive you to do some wonderful looking things, maybe even some momentary change, but it won't be genuine. It won't be lasting, and it will be miserable. Compulsion driven by shame is fleeting. But conviction driven by our loving Savior, that is invigorating. And if you don't have that love, if you, ask. Ask the good shepherd. He has enough love to spare, and he didn't save you because you loved him. He saved you because he loves you. He shepherds us to salvation. He can certainly shepherd us into transformation and to be a worker. So don't hide your neediness and serve the shepherd of shame. Ask the good shepherd for help. Neediness doesn't stop when you follow Jesus as shepherd. So if you're feeling helpless and you don't even care that the world is distressed and dejected, you don't care that there are people in this world that still don't know the good name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, you're in a good place, I think. Be needy. Ask. Ask for his vision. Ask to care. Ask to be driven out. It's okay to need help. The world needs needy workers. To people that beg the Lord of the harvest to drive out more workers into his harvest field. And that can be starting with me. Before I ask for other workers, I need to be driven out. Personally, I think a revival is bubbling up, folks, because now more than ever, well, I don't know about ever, but now there is a bunch of people very aware of their own neediness, both in the church and out. Can you see that harvest? As, as people realize their neediness, there's a harvest. Let's beg the good shepherd to go save sheep. And let's beg the Lord of the harvest to drive us out into his harvest field. Let's just beg the Lord and see what he might do. I'm not exi- I, I don't exactly know how all this works, but I believe God saved me uniquely for my own good, yes. But I believe he called me out of darkness just so he could say yes to me, his kid, when I ask him to save brothers and sisters who don't know their brothers and sisters yet. He loves when I beg him for stuff and ask him for things. He loves it. It has been just a huge privilege to be in this community and also a huge privilege to be sent out by this community. But as Em and I have been preparing for Jamaica, we have been grieving as well. We are like, we like it here. It, <laughs> we're not leaving because we need an adventure because we don't care about Jamaica or care about Gainesville. Quite the opposite. Being in this family is one of the, the highlights of our life. It's a privilege. And we're grieving leaving it. But I take comfort, one, because I believe the Lord of the harvest is sending us out, sending us to another place. 
But I also take comfort because I believe we're not the only ones being sent. To those in Gainesville that see it as a temporary landing spot, a job, residency, school, you are an answer to our prayers. As I go, I have been begging the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into Gainesville. So if you're here temporarily, please don't, don't leave Gainesville without seeing the distressed, seeing the dejected and caring for them. Would you look for lost sheep while you're in Gainesville? Would you care? Would you labor? Would some of you guys consider staying longer even? Would you be sent here? And to those that are here, like here, here, right? ACR here. Um, thank you guys. We would not be able to be sent without you. You've embraced us and discipled us, nurtured us, supported us emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, literally everything. <laughs> you guys are our co-laborers, our friends, our brothers and sisters. Makes it really hard to leave. And yet, really easy because you guys have sent so well. I believe you guys that are here, here, forever, like planning on being here for a hot minute, I believe you're not stuck here. You have been sent here. Own that. Own being here. Challenge some more people to stay with you, but don't hoard your resources. Keep sending. Painful as it is, love, train but expect some of your best and most beloved to be sent out. Sent to Alachua, South Florida, even Tallahassee, right? Send to South Carolina, Boston, Kansas. Send to Jamaica, South America, India, to the ends of the earth. I believe God has called Gainesville and City Church uniquely to keep embracing people, to keep training them and, and sending them out into his harvest field, to feel the hurts of the world, and to respond to the few by doing what they long to do for many, to shepherd them. You have been sent. We have been sent. And we are asking for more to be sent into a distressed and dejected world. May it be. May it be, right?